This morning, we continue our series uh, in the book of Romans. Uh, if you've missed the last couple of weeks, I want to encourage you to download the Bethel app, go back and re-listen uh, to those sermons so that you can be up to speed. Uh, we will be in this series for quite some time, um, and so you want to make sure that you're keeping up to date with it. Um, God is going to do some great and marvelous things through the book of Romans. Amen. There was a man that wrote to Christianity Today about his recent conversation at McDonald's. Y'all know McDonald's. It'll put you in the grave early, won't it? That's some bad stuff up there, man. But anyways, a guy wrote to Christianity Today about his recent conversation at McDonald's. He says, I stopped at McDonald's drive-thru for lunch. After placing my order, I came to the drive-up window to pay. I noticed an attractive hand-carved cross hanging from the woman's neck. So I commented, I like your cross. Her reply was a lesson to me, he said, and how simple it is to share one's testimony. She said, thank you, and I like the person who died on it for my sins. And I love the person who rose from the grave after having died on the cross. She easily could have left that conversation at thank you. But her faithful witness touched me and drew me even closer, he said, to the Lord that day. Church, people wear crosses and put Christian fish bumper stickers on their car all the time. And it really means nothing. If those crosses and bumper stickers are not on your heart first, there are a lot of spiritually dead people with crosses around their neck. So her rocking her Jesus piece isn't why I like the story. What I love about the lady is that she uses the cross around her neck to point to the Jesus that is alive in her heart. Y'all didn't come to talk to me this morning, but I'm coming for you. She was not ashamed of the one who died and rose for her. We usually, church, are not ashamed of anything we truly love, not something that has significant meaning to us. You think of all the foolish things people wear and associate themselves with, but are so confident in it, you can't help but say at least they rock it like they believe it. You can have on the ugliest shirt in the world, and if you rock it like you believe it, you may convince me that that's an all right shirt. There's something about rocking something like you believe it. If we are honest this morning, we all got at least one thing we really love and that we are not ashamed of. It is that one thing that defines everything about you. It's that one thing that when people think of it, they think of you. It defines and shapes your entire life. It is the banner over your life. If people wrote a paper about your life, it would be the thesis and the main idea about you. For an example, when I say Martin Luther King, you think civil rights movement. When I say Elvis, you think rock and roll. Any Elvis lovers in the building this morning? That's all right, John Church, y'all acting extra safe. It's all good. When I say Post Malone, you think rap. 
When I say Brad Pitt, you think acting. Well, at least most of us in the room. When I say King T'Challa, you think Wakanda. Watch out, ladies. Y'all in church now. I see y'all over there. These things have become such a part of their existence that it is the theme and the thesis of their life. What is the thesis, church? Often this is the summary of everything the author is wanting to say. So when I say something is the thesis of someone's life, it is the very thing that they are trying to use their life to convey to the world. Church, for the past two weeks, since the start of our Roman series, we have seen the thesis of Paul's life, the gospel. If you recall, Paul has concluded a masterful opening statement, a statement that really has two parts. Part two has its salutation, dealing with Paul's own personal representation of the gospel. But part one contains the content of the gospel. We look at the content of the gospel in the first part of chapter one, and then the messenger in the remaining part of chapter one. But today we will transition from the thesis of Paul's life to the thesis of this letter. Romans, which would unfold and be crystallized in the remaining chapters, it will crystallize what the gospel is. You see, the same gospel that Paul lived for is the same gospel he is writing about to the church of Rome. Our verses today contains the summary or thesis of this letter. The whole letter is really an expansion of what we will see in verses 16 and 17. I'm going to say that again. Verses 16 and 17 is the thesis of the book of Romans. All that Paul is writing will be an expansion of these two verses. So you may want to highlight those or underline those in your Bible. And so it is essential that we get the proper perspective on these two verses. So what we will do is we will take one verse at a time. We will deal with verse 16 today, and we will deal with verse 17 the next week. But I'll read both today. The word of the Lord says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I kind of read it like, man, like Paul is like bold when he says it, you know. He comes out like, yo, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Church, this morning, Paul begins with a personal statement regarding his own confidence of the gospel. Paul comes out rushing at us at 100 miles per hour, explaining and expressing to us his own confidence. it, 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 It is as if Paul takes a finger of declaration and points it at himself and says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of God. Paul is saying, I don't know about anybody else. I can't speak for anybody else. I can't represent anybody else. But in this moment, in this particular text, I'm representing myself in my own heart. And I came to tell you, Church of Rome, and I came to tell you, Church of Gary, that I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
If you were here the last two weeks, you can imagine the passion and the intensity being transferred from Paul's hand to his pen. It is as if you can sense it in the text when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, family, Paul could have started this verse with, I am confident in the gospel. And that would have been fitting for the occasion. Giving Paul's track record, if you looked at Paul's resume, if you did research on his background, if you paid attention to who Paul was, you would say it is fitting for Paul to say simply that I am confident in the gospel. Understand that Paul was in prison in Philippi. Anybody been in prison for the gospel lately? Paul was. He had been chased out of Thessalonica. He had been smuggled from Berea. He was laughed at in Athens. He was seen as a fool in Corinth. And he was not the most welcome guy in Jerusalem. Paul didn't have a buddy club. Paul didn't have a whole lot of people that were a fan of him. He was stoned while he was in Galatia. Now, many of you know, the first time somebody throw a rock at you, that's going to be the end of that one of them little white stones, the little crystal ones that be in the front of the yard. Somebody throw one of those at y'all, it's over with. Paul confidence goes beyond bumper stickers. Paul is not talking about I'm confident in the gospel because I got a sticker on the back of my car. Many of you got that sticker on the back of your car. You need to put it right on your steering wheel. You didn't cut so many people out. You need to put it right there. Just as a reminder, that's all. Paul is not calling us to be a jerk about the gospel, be self-righteous about the gospel. Paul is not calling us to do that. A lot of us think that we can express that we are unashamed by being extra religious. You know, those people that just do a little bit too much. What's up, brother? What's up, brother? How you doing? What kind of air are you breathing? Is that uh, converted air? What do you mean converted air? I don't know what you're talking about. Is that saved air? Is that gospel air that you breathe? No, brother, it's just, it's just oxygen. That's all that it is. Well, I went to the Christian bookstore, bought me a mask, and it converts the air into the gospel so that when I, when I breathe, all I'm breathing is deep. Brother, if you don't get away from me, if you do not get away from me. I'm talking about extra, like, you know, those extra people. They all over the top. This is not what Paul is saying. But maybe you can relate this morning to Paul. Have you been kicked out of something or alienated from your friends or your family because of the gospel of Jesus Christ? For standing for what you believe to know is true without a shout of a doubt. I would say you must be pretty confident in something to endure all that Paul had endured. Most of us start losing our confidence in the gospel if we stub our toe. How can God love me and not stop that chair from hitting me? How can the gospel be real and I'm still single? You know I don't know about that God stuff anymore since I've lost my job. You see, Paul had been kicked out of the cool people club. He had traded a very lucrative and prominent position for the gospel. And church, you don't just give up all of that and endure such pains unless you are confident in what you believe. I am confident in the gospel. Paul is, but that is not what he says. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Understand, Paul is writing to Rome. 
Rome was the city of the world. Her laws were the foundation for all that followed. Her art was borrowed and appreciated. Her military system was the wonder of the world. If you do research on the Roman Empire, it was a glorious beast. Further, Rome's whole religious and political system was at odds with the basic tenets of the Christian church. Paul is writing to Rome. Rome was polytheistic. They believed in many gods. They had many gods and many sons of gods in their pantheon. Rome was very sensitive to the claim of kingship. Embedded in the gospel and the centrality of the gospel is a risen king. We call him the king of kings and the lord of lords. Remember Pilate's question of Jesus. Are you a king? He didn't ask Jesus, are you a carpenter? He says, are you a king? Kings were a threat to the Roman order and authority. After the wise man visited King Herod, a Roman appointee, he was concerned about Jesus, so much so that he sent soldiers out to kill every child that was under the age of two. Rome was serious about a threat of another king, and Paul is writing to the church of Rome who is hostile to the gospel. Don't miss the context here. Don't miss what is going on in the background. Sometimes to appreciate scripture, you got to know what's going on in the background. You got to understand the cultural context, and it brings up your appreciation. It opens up your eyes to what's really going on. Paul is no punk when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He's writing to a place that does not like Christianity. Rome was religiously hostile, politically hostile, and personally hostile. Nevertheless, Paul is sending a letter to the place that is hostile to the gospel. And not only does he want to send a letter, Paul wants to do what? Paul wants to go there. Now, how many people in the room, you're eager to go to a place where they're killing Christians? The first time you get word of it, you ain't going nowhere near there. We're quick to go hop on a bus and preach the gospel where it's safe. Uh, But when our life is in danger, we make up all kinds of excuses. Not Paul. Now, I'm not saying that everybody is called to be a martyr. Don't get me wrong. But nevertheless, Paul wants to go there. Considering all of that, with every reason to shrink back, with ample reason to not associate himself with the gospel, Paul conveys in two words how he feels about the gospel. Not ashamed. I have zero, zip, not one drop of shame for the gospel. Maybe you haven't felt shame before. It is different than guilt. Shame has to do with deep humiliation. I believe Johnny Depp helps us to understand what it is to feel shame. It was in an interview with the Rolling Stone magazine that Johnny Depp admitted his difficulties in connecting with other people. Depp said, covering myself up in makeup, it's easier to look at someone else. It is easier to look at someone else's face than your own. I think for everyone. You wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth, and you're like, ugh, that idiot again. You're still here? What do you want? He goes on to say, hiding, I think, is important. It is important for you, for whatever's left of your sanity, I guess. 
So Paul is saying, I feel the opposite about the gospel. I'm not hiding the gospel. I'm not humiliated by the gospel. I don't try to cover up the gospel with makeup. There's a lot of people trying to dress up the gospel and make it cute and, 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 and easy for men to accept. But you got to understand, there's a lot of people accepting Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's easy to accept the Jesus that's okay with how I feel. The Bible says, do not make car images for yourself. But oftentimes, instead of taking the Jesus of the Bible, we're carving our own God, one that we're okay with. Paul says, I'm not carving or dressing up or making up another gospel. Because of the gospel, Paul can live with himself. Because of the gospel, Paul can look in the mirror and be okay with the guy that he sees. Y'all not talking to me this morning. If you know who you really are, it'll be hard for you to look in the mirror. But when you think about the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it means in all of his fullness, I can gaze in the mirror and say, I'm okay with this God because God has changed me. As Keith was singing this morning, I ain't got to go back to what I used to be. I'm moving forward because of what Christ has done. This is what it means not to be ashamed, first inwardly and then outwardly. I truly believe in the gospel of Jesus 100%. Church, if you ever truly taste the gospel, you will not be ashamed of it. Can you echo the words of Paul? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Have you experienced public ridicule like Paul for following Jesus? Are you living in your own Rome this morning? What's the hostility level in your family? At your school, on your block, in your neighborhood, workplace, towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this doesn't mean be a square or don't enjoy culture. God has called us to enjoy those things. But it does mean that my priority and my heartbeat is the gospel, and it dictates every bit of my life, every decision that I make, everything that I do. The gospel is at the heartbeat of everything that I'm doing. Paul, where comes this boldness. Paul, where do you get this confidence from? I am not ashamed of the gospel. Here's why Paul is not ashamed. Continue to read the verse. It is the power of God for salvation. Paul, boldness in the gospel is that it is the power of God. Paul, boldness in the gospel is that it is the power of God. Church, that's a lot of power. Did you catch that? It's the power of God. The gospel is God's power for salvation. People get saved by the power of God in the gospel. The way that God saves is by his power in the gospel. Let me say it another way. You must know who God is in the gospel in order to be saved. Amen. What God are you talking about, Paul? You're writing to Rome. Rome had so many ancient deities. They built houses for their gods. All their gods in one house. Makes me laugh. Rome in Greek. In the Greeks had mythical gods, but here's the reality. 
none of them had power. Zeus and all of his lightning never saved anyone. Nike, with all of her so-called speed, has no power to save anyone. Epaphrodite, with all of her beauty, has no power to save anyone. Paul doesn't point to Muhammad. He doesn't point to Buddha. He points to Jesus Christ. So we know who he's talking about. Jesus. Paul, who are you talking about? I'm referring to the God of the universe. If Paul was here today and we asked him, who are you talking about? He'll say, I'm talking about Elohim, God. I'm talking about Yahweh, Lord Jehovah. I'm talking about Edonai, Lord and Master. I'm talking about the Lord Almighty. I'm talking about the one who is and is to come. I'm talking about the one who parts the Red Sea. I'm talking about that God. And the reason Paul is so geeked and so lit and so anxious to share the gospel is because it is powerful. It changes lives forever. Have you ever experienced the power of the gospel outside of your own salvation? I recently had an opportunity this Friday to experience it and to see it again on display. And I love to see the gospel on display. Friday night. And you guys, Will Jones. He's been working at Ford, and him and another guy, they've been preaching the gospel at their work. Pray for them. And over a series of months, there was a gentleman that was, they were witnessing to, and he had many, 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 many questions, and so they took time out of their busy schedules to love on him. And as they did, he said, at one point, I couldn't help myself. I had no more questions. The only thing left for me to do was to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've seen the joy on his face, if you've seen the peace in his life, you'll be shouting right now because there's power in the gospel. They didn't dress it up. They didn't go in there trying to be cute. They didn't go in there trying trying to depend on their personality. They depended on the gospel of Jesus Christ. They gave it plain and simple, and the man came to God. When I sat across from him and he told me his testimony, I couldn't help but smile and say, that's the power of the gospel. Here's the reality, church. We love power. Oh, don't sit there like you don't like power. We love to see power on display. When you see a powerhouse dump, what happens? The place erupts. When we see King T'Challa flipping and turning cars over, the theater went what? Bunkers, right? And when we see Superman soaring in the sky, what happens to us? We get something inside of us lights up when we see power on display. But church, you haven't seen power until you've seen the gospel of Jesus Christ at work in the lives of unbelievers. The gospel has power, church. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. Now, the Greek word here that Paul uses for power is dunamis. And church, if you were to do your homework, you would realize that J.J. off the old sitcom, Good Times, got his word dynamite from this right here. He got it from the gospel first. J.J. was reading Romans, and this is what it, I'm just playing. He took a class of Greek. And he would say, dynamite. 
However, while dynamite blows things up, the gospel puts it back together. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been putting your life back together since you came to him. You can sit there cute like you want to, but allow some of us to go there for a minute. Jesus Christ's gospel has put my life back together. I was jacked up, messed up, scattered into a million pieces, and he came and he put it all back together, and he's still forming me and put me back into the order of creation. I would have lost my mind. I should have been dead a long time ago, but he keeps pulling me. I love what the book of Hebrews says. He calls him an anchor for my soul, and he's pulling me and bringing me back into order with God. He's putting me back in line with the Lord. The gospel has the power to save, to reconcile, heal, and forgive. Paul has in mind the fact that the gospel of Christ carries with it the omnipotence of God. The all-powerful God is behind it, operative in regenerating a person. Often we don't see the power in the gospel because we don't see how jacked up we really are prior to salvation. You can't appreciate the gospel, church, if you don't know how jacked up and messed up you are. You're more of a mess than you could ever imagine. (laughs) You think you need religion. You think you need a new uniform. God needs to uproot your entire being and give you a new heart. You don't get it, church. Christianity is not like politics. It's not that you change what category you believe in. That is not what happened to you. What happened to you is new life. This is why Jesus says to Nicodemus, he comes to Nicodemus at night time and he says what to Nicodemus? I mean, Nicodemus says what to Jesus? We know that you come from God. He come at nighttime, he's sneaking, he creeping, right? He real low-key where he is. He don't want to bite to know that he coming to Jesus. Some of y'all like that too. Y'all be, you know, got your hood on and stuff. <laughs> coming to church today, somebody said, Get, put that camera down, okay? I ain't nobody here seeing me like this. They seen me in the club last night. I can't be... They're like that, right? So, so Nicodemus come real smooth to Jesus. And Jesus, I love Jesus. Don't y'all love Jesus? Just look how he responds to him, right? He says, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Whoa, where did that come from? Born again, new life. Ah, Jesus came to give life. And the only person that can give life is God. Any man can give religion. Any man can give you a new uniform. But only God alone can give you new life. And it's in the gospel. Church, if we slow down long enough and we put our ears to society, everybody's screaming for change. Everybody wants to be changed. Tupac had a song in the 90s called Changes, and he said, I see no changes. I wake up in the morning and I ask myself, is life worth living or should I blast myself? What about conscious Marvin Gaye? Y'all know Marvin Gaye. I heard it through the grapevine. Marvin Gaye. Don't sit here and act like y'all don't know who Marvin Gaye is. <laughs> Marvin Gaye had his own way of singing about change. Mother, mother, there's too many of you crying. Brother, brother, there's far too many of you dying. You know we got to find a way 
to bring some loving here today. If I, if I could talk to Marvin, I would tell Marvin that we found a way to bring some loving here today. And it's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. All advertising that goes out in the world is based on one presupposition. And that is people want things different than they are. They want to look better, feel better, think better, have better experiences. They want to change their life. However, the world is selling only what God can deliver. And some of us try to find it in religion, in the club, in sororities, on the block, in people. We think we can follow the Ten Commandments in our own power. You can't. You can't do it. It's impossible. Jesus says in Matthew twenty two twenty nine. 29, I love this, when he's talking to the religious leaders, he says, you err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. He said that to the religious people of his day, you don't even know the power of God. You are ignorant of the power of God. You don't know what power is. I don't know how you feel about this, church. But ain't nobody like Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to break every chain, break every addiction, to take you from sinner to saint, from death to life, from darkness to light. I came to preach the good news to you this morning. Romans 5, 6 says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. In other words, man is impotent. He can't change himself. He is utterly trapped and unable to do anything about it. We need power outside of this world, and it is found in the only true gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, that's good. We hear you, that the gospel has power in it. But what is the purpose of this powerful gospel? What is the purpose? What is the main reason for the gospel? Because many of us could argue that there are many people who make changes in their life outside of Jesus. And I would agree with you. But I would also beg to argue that they may have made changes, but they have not changed their judgment status before God. Sinners are condemned to hell, and no one can change that status but God Almighty. The power in the gospel, the purpose of the gospel is for salvation or unto salvation. How God accomplished this is encapsulated in the 16 chapters of Romans. This is what we're studying, but don't miss the why. God is expressing his power through the gospel to save. Save from what? If you ask the average person, are you saved? They would say, yes, I moved to Wakanda. I'm just messing around. (laughs) Just had to lighten it up a little bit. That's all. No, 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 really. They would likely ask back, save From what? Paul sums it up in verse 18. Drop your eyes down. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Okay, go back to the question. What are we saved from? We are saved from the wrath of God. Feel the weight of that. 
There's a lot of people concerned about a lot of relationships, but this relationship right here that matters the most, the vertical one. Who we are saved from is God. I cannot say that clearer, church. You are saved from God. Hold on, wait. So if I understand this, you are saying that God sends his power through the gospel to save us from himself. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. If you was asking, I'd be like, mm-hmm, you got it. God saves you from God, not Satan, ultimately. The mystery is that Romans will unpack that God saves us from himself by dying for us himself. This is the beautiful flower that is going to unfold before us as we go through the gospel. I mean, the book of Romans. The gospel is the power of God unto what? Salvation. Saving sinners from his own wrath by Jesus becoming sin for us and then taking the penalty of sin via the cross. Jesus takes your penalty. Pick theological word substitutionary atonement. And I think theology words are the only big words that I can say. All right? So don't be impressed. So the gospel saves people. Yes. Here's the question. And that is the good news, that God saves me from himself, from his wrath to come, saving me from hell, from eternal damnation. That's good news. I need that. How do I get it? How do I receive the gospel? I'm so glad you asked. Paul goes on, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Watch the verse. We always want to look at the Bible. It's the preacher preaching the word. For I am not ashamed. Look at that. I knocked my mic off. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Watch this. To everyone who what? Believes. The condition of the gospel is for all who what? Believe. So Paul says, my thesis statement is this. My thesis is the power of God can bring salvation. But how? That's the next key word. In verse 16, to everyone that what? Believes. Faith is the key word. Or belief. Repentance, turning away from sin, in faith, believing in Jesus. I want you to remember these three words, church. Gospel, salvation, and belief. These are key words. Gospel, salvation, and belief. I mean, if the power of God can do it, save us and change us, as I already argued, from whom does he do it? God changes everyone that believes. So it is not enough, church, just to hear the gospel. It is not enough just to go to church. We're glad that you're here, but it is not sufficient. It is not enough just to sing about Jesus. None of that will save you. Salvation has a condition, and it is faith, or you can say belief, whichever one you want. You say, what is faith? Faith is believing. You all live by faith every day of your life. When you get on the plane and you're 36,000 miles up, where is the pilot? 
Do you know the pilot in front of that airplane? In fact, do you know if anybody is up there? You see the pilot greeting you as you get on board. Nevertheless, you get in your seatbelt and you get real comfortable. And you trust the airlines with your life. We live by faith all the time. Faith is trust. Now, I'm not arguing blind faith. Faith, is, faith in Jesus is reasonable, and it certainly is not without evidence. However, the very definition of faith is trust or belief in something, evidence or not. <laughs> you don't need evidence to believe in something. It's kind of stupid to believe in something that evidence is arguing against, but however, the very definition of faith is trust or belief in something. I'm going to put a parenthesis on what I just said. Because there are things in our faith that goes beyond evidence. I do want to say that. But faith is fully resting in something. It's like sitting in a chair. I trust the chair will hold me up. If not, I wouldn't be sitting in it. No doubts, no worries. The evidence is my action. The evidence of my faith is that I sit in it. This is what Paul is saying. The gospel is like a chair. If you believe it will hold you up, then set your faith on it. And it will not fail you. Now you say, what would happen if I don't believe the gospel? The gospel doesn't work because you believe it. The gospel works because it's the gospel. Just like a chair is a chair, even if no one is sitting in it. You sitting in that chair doesn't make it a chair or not. It was a chair way before you sat in it. This means I believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead. To have faith means that you believe he is who he says he was. That he died for the reason he said he died and he rose again from the grave. And if you believe that, if you believe that for by grace you are saved by what? Through faith that none of you should boast. It is a gift of God. And if you keep on coming, I'm going to unpack that faith is a gift also. But the universal offer is real. So is the condition. We must believe. And I'm going to pause for a moment. If you don't believe in this gospel this morning, I plead with you. Because tomorrow's not promised. Put your faith in this gospel. And it will not. It will not fail you. As you sit here today, do you believe the gospel? Is your confidence grounded in Jesus saving death for your sins? Is your trust resting in Jesus' work, not your own work? The gospel is offered to all but applied only to those who believe. Are you one of them? If not in your heart and mind today, profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as he says later in Romans, because if we confess with our mouth, that Je come on, church, help me, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Y'all been reading y'all Bibles. I'm so proud of y'all. Come on, y'all. Give it. Amen and amen. Okay. Back to the last line here. And I can't say this enough. And Paul continues to press. He continues to say this. The gospel is for who? Everybody. 
That's right. Paul wants the church in Rome to know that salvation is by the gospel from start to finish. There's none of your works in between that. Okay? The gospel, your salvation, is fully and wholly dependent and contingent on what Jesus has done. There's none of you in there at all. Not a drop of human works. Period. I can't say it enough. Nothing. Not Sunday school. Not changing your dress code. Not sing. None of it is in between there. Just Jesus and what he's done. And all you can do is put your faith right there. That's what I'm resting on. That's what I'm depending on. This is all I got. I ain't got nothing else. And if you knew yourself well enough, you'll know that you ain't got nothing else. Because some of y'all ain't as nice as you look this morning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You ain't as sanctified as you act this morning. You better not let nobody pull the veil back in your house. Your wife will tell the truth on you. Your husband will tell the truth on you. And Jesus Christ, show enough, will tell the truth on you. You know you ain't got no righteousness. You don't. The gospel is for everybody. No one gets saved apart from the gospel. Therefore, Paul says this. Watch this. Rest of the verse. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. What are you talking about, Paul? We will unpack this further in Romans. But what would suffice today about what Paul is saying here, he wants the Jews now remember this, underline this, because this is huge, Jews and Gentiles and Greeks. He's going to use this a lot. Jews, which are the covenant people of God in the Old Testament, and Gentiles who become the covenant people of God through the new covenant. God brings in everybody under the umbrella of the gospel. That was God's intention from the very beginning. And so now Paul is writing to the church of Rome and encouraging them to have mutual respect and love for each other. The Gentile Christians should appreciate the role of the Jews in salvation. Why? Because they received God revelation in the Old Testament. They were given promises through Abraham. God chose the Jewish people to bring about who he was. So the Jewish people are first chronologically and theologically. Yet the Jewish Christians needed to realize that God's plan includes the Gentiles. We, too, are recipients of God's grace, gospel, and promises. This is the continuity of the gospel in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The gospel is for all. The condition is not ethnicity, but belief. I don't care how chocolate you are this morning. I don't care how not so chocolate you are this morning. Doesn't matter. Skin color, it's not by skin color, but by faith. It's not by your family tree, but faith tree. Okay? I don't care if your granddaddy put the first light bulb in the church. And your grandma baked the first apple pie. Doesn't get you into heaven. It's not geographical location, but spiritual location. Are you in Jesus at the end of the day? Anyone, no matter who they are, can be saved if they simply place faith in Christ and profess him truly as their Lord and Savior. It is simple in 116. But the next 16 chapters is like taking apart a Ferrari. Most people could drive a Ferrari without knowing all the engineering, just like a child can be saved without understanding the book of Romans. 
But the spiritual engineering and how God saved us is the greatest wonder of the world. Church, get ready to be blown away on how God has wisely woven through serpents and giants and sin and rebellion and the ugliness of this world a gospel that truly saves mankind. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. Neither should we be, church. Paul made this gospel the thesis of his life. My question to you this morning, what is the thesis of your life? He was not ashamed of Jesus, but you don't have to be an apostle to have that kind of boldness. Think about the lady at McDonald's at the start of this sermon. She was a regular person like you and I. She was trying to make a living for her family. She was just trying to provide. But inside of that lady was a power that goes beyond this world. And Jesus wants to be that this morning for you. Perhaps you're feeling shame right now because you missed a lot of your McDonald moments. But that's okay. So did Peter. He denied him. But the thing that I love about God is his mercy is new every morning. Don't worry about tomorrow. How about today? Believer, you can determine to make the gospel the thesis of your life, I think, is a worthy calling. Because as the saints of old used to say, there's nobody like Jesus. There's nobody like Jesus. Friends, I came to tell you, if you sit your faith on this gospel chair and live your life bragging and boasting about Jesus, Jesus himself will hold you up. Friends, I'm talking about the living Jesus, the one who loves us, the one who cares for our soul. The old people used to say and sing the song, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation. Purchase of God, perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with goodness, lost in his love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Oh, what a Savior. Wonderful Jesus. Death could not hold you. You are victorious. Praise to the risen king. Death could not hold you. You are victorious. Praise to the risen king. Born of his spirit. Washed in his blood. Church, you got to love him this morning. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I ever think or even ask. It is the blood of Jesus that has cleansed me, that has changed me. I was once lost, but now I'm found. Oh, sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilt. Can I brag on Jesus for a minute? Can I talk about him for a minute? Can I talk about Adam's redeemer for a minute. Can I talk about the sin bearer for a minute? Can I talk about the rose of Sharon for a minute? Can I talk about the bread of life, the one who is and is to come? Can I talk about him for a moment, church? Because he's done so much. He's been so much. He's saved so many people. I love the way Paul says it. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners, but that's all right because I know the chief of saviors. You don't understand who he is until you walk with him and talk with them. You don't understand until you've been down in the mud, until you've been down in your sin. 
you don't understand until you've been tied up by pornography, when you've been tied up by lying, when you've been tied up by greed, when you've been tied up by that boyfriend that God's been telling you to let him go. And all of a sudden you came to church one day and the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached and the chains began to break and the chains began to fall. I don't know about you, but I still believe that he's able to save, that he's able to set free because he's able to do all that he said he'll do in the gospel. If I can say like Paul Church this morning, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Can we give him a loud shout of praise for all that he's done for us this morning? Church, we would love for those of you who are not able to sing that song I just sung, we would love to hear you sing it. Because before we can sing about Jesus, we got to believe in him. And if that's you this morning, you've yet to place your faith in Jesus, I want to have a conversation with you. You feel him tugging in your heart. You feel the light of the gospel. You feel him calling. Don't ignore it. Come to him. Come to Jesus.